interesting uh, day. I have often had moms come who are uh, struggling and uh, working that thing through. It's why we're here together as family, right? We have uh, great opportunities to minister and serve each other. Well, I want to begin with a somewhat unrelated uh, illustration. I have, uh, it's getting to be that time of year, has been for a month or more at our house, where it's nice to just kind of sit out on the patio in the evening and enjoy uh, what is still can be a cool evening. And uh, uh, we like to have a fire in the fire pit and all that kind of stuff. So we had a just a regular old standard fire pit uh, for a long time, which went virtually unused because I'm horrible at building fires and not so much building them as keeping them going. So I know it probably the wood wasn't fully dry. I, there are all sorts of reasons, but I'm just horrible at it. And uh, you got to start with some kind of kindling. You got to have some, in my case, some kind of accelerant <laughs> to put it mildly. And you know, you light a fire and you get it going and you get the kindling going and you get enough coals and you put a few logs on there. And usually within an hour, I'm like, I'm tired of messing with this. I'm going back inside. And uh, so for in advance of Father's Day, my kids all went together because we were doing a little work on our patio out back and got me a gas fire pit. So now I just got to push a button and I can turn the fire up or turn it down or turn it off. And it's really nice. Uh, no more fanning the flame, no more figuring out, is this wood dry enough? Is that wood dry enough? What if I do this? How about if I stick a little extra something under here? Can I just spray a little more lighter fluid on it? Whatever. And uh, so that's really nice. Well, I want to look at a passage of scripture today that is related to that and has a spot in it that's connected to mom. So this is a sermon for everybody with an extra spot for moms. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in this passage, we find Paul challenging Timothy. Now, I can tell you why this would really have stuck with Timothy. Because as we'll see as we go through here, Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. And there was a really deep relationship with them, which we'll explore just a bit here uh, shortly. But this is the last letter. Now, Paul didn't know it, and Timothy didn't know it. Paul, I think, had some suspicions, but this is the last letter Paul wrote in the New Testament. And uh, usually the last words that someone says become really important. So even if Timothy didn't know it at the time that he received this letter, this would have become a very, very precious letter to Timothy, written by his spiritual father to him as a young pastor helping him to think, how are you going to continue to serve God faithfully? And we've called it fanning the flame. But let me read it for you from 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love 
and self-control. These are some of the closing words of challenge to Timothy. It begins with relationship. If you're following along in your notes there, uh, it begins with the concept of relationship. And so there are four different people that are building into this uh, fanning of the flame, this flame that is burning in Timothy. He's probably, I think at this point, still the pastor at the church at Ephesus and uh, is serving the Lord there. And so uh, it's, uh, it's important for him as a young pastor to have certain things that are building into him. And the first is Paul. Paul is reminding Timothy of all that he has been doing to build into his life. And the first one is this. He prays for him constantly. Paul prays for Timothy all the time. I wonder if it's worth another reminder. Do you think to us that prayer is useful? We we battle in our minds sometimes to understand Yeah, but if God already knows what's happening, and if God has already planned what's happening, and if God is sovereign, why does it matter whether I pray or not? But I want to remind you that God has, in his sovereignty, included your praying in accomplishing what he does, because it is clear in Scripture that prayer accomplishes much. In fact, James told us it is the prayer of a righteous man that accomplishes a great deal in its working. The prayer of a righteous person does accomplish much. And you know that, I don't want to get preaching on that text. That just came to my mind. But that's in the context of like Elijah, right? Who said to the king of Israel, it's not going to rain for three years. And it didn't. And then Elijah prayed to God and it rained again. And then in the text there in James, it says, In the same way, when you're praying, so I don't mean let's pray that it won't rain and then that it will rain. I'm not trying to challenge your prayer life. I'm saying these people were not super prayers, right? They were followers of God who knew to talk to God and knew that it was important and knew that it made a difference. I want to say to you, Paul said, I pray for you night and day. He prayed for him constantly. Who's on your prayer list? I hope you use one. I have found it very effective for me to use a prayer list. Now, of course, nowadays we have the the luxury of an app, right? So I can be a little spontaneous and organized all at the same time because I have probably 40 people on my prayer list that I specifically pray for regularly. And every day my prayer app just randomly chooses a few of them. So it feels as though they're just kind of there. Uh, And so I pray for that group and whoever else God brings to mind. But there are people that I have on my list that I pray for routinely. Of course, my family and uh, men that I have mentored in ministry over the years and so on, all sorts of people. But I wonder who's on your list. Who is there that you are praying for constantly? You know something I have been discovering again recently? I have a list of people on there. Uh, Part of my prayer list is people that I want to see come to Christ that I'm praying for. And every once in a while, as I'm praying for one or the other of them, I think to myself, when is the last time I've done anything about that? 
or am I just praying that God will somehow miraculously save them? So my prayer times aren't always encouraging times. Sometimes they're a bit conscience-pricking, right? Who are you praying for? And who's praying for you? I have people I could list that I know are praying for me. They are on at least some semi-regular basis bringing me before the throne of grace. They are talking to God on my behalf. It's really important that we pray for each other because prayer is part of the intimacy of our relationship. It's part of how we build into someone else's life. I mean, you, you and I both know, especially if people are distant from you and you are praying for them, sometimes the only thing you can do is pray. But don't you hate that sentence? Well, I mean, the only thing I can do is pray. How about the first thing I can do is pray, and then we'll see what else God wants to do. Prayer is really that important. And Paul also, in addition to praying for him, it's not just a random thing that Timothy happens to come up on Paul's prayer app. He remembers him intimately. As I remember your tears, I continue to pray. Can I remind you of a couple things about Timothy? In the first letter that Paul wrote, he talked to Timothy about how he was frequently ill. I don't know what it was. He had some kind of stomach thing. Probably some scientist or whatever would be able to say, oh, you know, that symptom, that sounds like whatever. But all I know is he had frequent stomach ailments. And Paul mentioned it to him in a letter that has now been published for thousands of Christians over thousands of years to read. Probably if Timothy were around, he'd be like, gee, thanks for that, Paul. Like, I know you have acne, and I'm praying about that. You know, don't, don't tell the whole world, please. But he did, and he was frequently sick. He was naturally timid. This is an interesting verse. At the end of 1 Corinthians 16, the first time he writes to the Corinthians, he gets to the end of the letter, and he says this, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. For he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. You know in the background, perhaps, that the church at Corinth was not an easy place to serve. And he was there on a a mission from Paul, certainly a mission from the Lord, but Paul had sent him along with some others, and they were serving there. And he, he singled him out and said to the leadership at Corinth, make him at ease. Take it easy on the boy. Be nice to him. (laughs) He was, there was something about Timothy that appears to be a little bit timid. So those of you who are a little bit that way are thinking, oh, well, then I guess that's okay, right? Yeah, it's totally okay. Timidity is not sinful. He was a young man. Timothy, rather Paul told him in the fourth part of fourth chapter of his first letter, don't let anybody despise your youth. That did not mean be obnoxious and brash and let everybody know who's, who's where and what. It just meant don't let them look down on you just because you're a young person. 
And at this time, believers were being persecuted. This is first century stuff, right? Believers are being persecuted. And Timothy, as a young man, frequently ill, who was naturally timid, may have been threatened a bit by that. And so Paul, remembering Timothy's tears, longs to see him again. I want to see you, Timothy, so badly. It'll make me so joyful when we can be together again. You, you sense the intimacy that there is between these two? And I hope you have a Paul in your life. And I hope you have a Timothy in your life. Because those spiritual relationships are so desperately important. You want the flame of God's fire to burn brightly in you. You need people in your life like Paul who will speak into it, who will challenge you, who will encourage you, who will love you in spite of your weaknesses, perhaps in some respects because of them. Secondly, I want to talk to you about legacy. This is where we can touch a little bit on the importance of moms on this Mother's Day, or all parents, really, because this is the place of family in your life and in fanning the flame. It's talking first about heritage there in verse 5. That faith that dwelt, he says, first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure in you. That's a heritage. Listen, they made a difference. These women were so impactful in Timothy's life, made such a difference that all these years later, Paul is remembering them. Paul is remembering them by name. Now, you've got to know Paul met a lot of people over the years. But these two particular moms made such a difference. It's Acts chapter 16 that records for us the time when Paul got a hold of Timothy and decided, man, I'm going to take him with me for ministry. But it was two chapters before in Acts 14 when he first came to Derby and Lystra, and it was not pretty. Paul got stoned there. I mean, with rocks. <laughs> he... Well, almost died because people got so angry they threw rocks at him. But while he was there, he had some spiritual fruit, and the brothers came around him. He got up, he went on, he kept preaching, and there was a lot of fruit, and many people came to know the Lord. Two chapters later, it says, as he's coming back through Derby and Lystra, there was a young man there, known among the brothers for his faithfulness and his love for the Lord. Now, whether Paul actually led him to Christ or was used of God in that instant uh, or in that instance when he was there a couple of chapters earlier in our record to really just light a fire in Timothy, there was something that happened at that point that made a difference in Timothy's life. And it made such a difference that he was already well spoken of to the point that when Paul came through the second time, he said, I need to take Timothy with me on this second missionary journey. Now, those of you who are moms are thinking, now hold up. Last time you were here, you got stoned almost to death, persecuted for your faith, and you want to take my son with you? Come on now, you know some of you are wondering about that. 
Because when we let our children go, it's really hard. Some of you have done that. Some of you have watched your kids up and leave home. Praying to God that they will serve him with all of their heart. These moms faithfully invested in the life of Timothy, both Eunice and Lois. Eunice, grandma, Lois, or rather Lois the grandma, Eunice the mom. His dad was a Greek. We don't know anything about his spiritual condition, but mom stepped in and did what needed to be done. It's really, really significant. And we're told just a chapter later in the same letter, from childhood you've been acquainted with this sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. From the time he was little, they were investing in his life spiritually. The spiritual power of godly parents and grandparents cannot be overstated. Invest in the lives of your children. But there is also a truth that I think we need to mention here, that we have both biological and spiritual family. And that's where the church comes in, right? You will, you will see this fall when we have uh, parent-child dedication, family dedications, that uh, I will explain to you then. We have a portion of that dedication service where we're not addressing the parents or anybody that's up front. I'll be addressing you. Because we believe at Coastal that part of the responsibility of being family at a church is helping parents raise their kids we want to create an environment in the church where children can hear and learn about Jesus. It is primarily mom and dad's job, but it is our job and we accept it as well. So don't just take them, don't just drop them off at church, don't make them go to church, bring them to church with you. I will never forget a fellow in my first ministry as a youth pastor was bemoaning to me the fact that his kids just weren't doing spiritually what he thought they should. He was disappointed in them. He said, I don't know what to say. I, I bring them to, I make them go to church every Sunday. I bring them here. And I said, do you stay? Well, not every week. I said, then bring them with you. Don't just send them to church. If, if church life if the life of walking with God and walking in the Spirit isn't important to mom and dad, it doesn't matter what you say or where you send them. It's not going to be important to your kids. We have a spiritual responsibility as a church family. So that's where all the rest of us come in who are not moms, even those of you who wish to God that you were a mom and God has not opened that opportunity yet. You can be a spiritual mom. There are some spiritual parenting tasks going on downstairs right now in our children's ministry. We have, we have really important things that we consider part of the kind of the DNA of Coastal. When you go to a church at Coastal, you're going to hear good worship, a biblical preaching, and you're going to have a great children's ministry because we believe children need to be infused with the gospel from the earliest years of their life. 
It's really, really important. Having your children, in addition to you, under the influence of godly leaders is vitally important. Listen, you're going to have your kids get into your teen years, and they're going to want to listen to everybody except you, right? If you've had teenagers, you know that to be true. Teenage boys, I'm sorry, guys, especially. We've all been there. The last time I was with my kids, my son just looked at me and said, I'm sorry. I said, why? Well, he has children now. Probably some of you have even had moments of thought when your kids were teenagers like, I wonder what it would take to emancipate this kid. Just... That's why we have godly leaders in their life. Lots of kids go through that. But if there are godly people investing in their life, youth leaders and so on, trust God to do what he needs to do. Thirdly, there's some responsibility. And I was just using one word throughout this outline, but I should say personal responsibility, right? This is where Timothy comes in. Because it isn't just everybody else's job to make sure that I'm where I need to be spiritually. It is my responsibility. He says to Timothy, fan into flame. For this reason, since you've heard about this since you were a kid, you need to, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy is a grown man now. He is a pastor at the church in Ephesus. And Paul says, listen, you have known and heard about this since you were a child. You need to fan this into flame for yourself. You are responsible for that. General Booth of the Salvation Army used to say, the tendency of fire is to go out. Watch the fire on the altar of your heart. Romans 12, Paul said, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. We need to fan the flame that is in our own heart. You have to occasionally stir the fire and add fuel. Spiritually, there's no such thing as a propane tank. You can't just turn it up and it'll be fine. You have to add fuel to the fire. At the risk of being simplistic, can I remind you? Uh, can I remind us all? There are such things as spiritual disciplines that are designed to fuel the fire in your heart for the things of God. So if you've gotten out of the habit of a routine of spending a little time with the Lord every day, devotions, reading a little bit of scripture, spending some time praying and talking to God, get back in that habit. And listen, it's okay. You're going to have to do it because you're supposed to for a little while. Because habits take time to develop. Good habits especially. So start the habit. I heard one preacher one time say, here's my challenge to you. Take five minutes a day for devotions. No more. Until you can't stand it anymore and you have to have more. I don't know if I'm fully on board with that, but The point is, spiritual growth is the opposite of food. Physical food 
the longer you go without eating, the hungrier you get. I know. Now now he has said it. Now everybody's hungry for whatever you're doing for mom for, for dinner today. I know. But the, if I go long enough, everybody's going to start looking at their watch. Because the longer you go without food, the hungrier you get. In spiritual things, it's the opposite. The more you feed the flame, the hotter it gets. The more you feed yourself, the hungrier you get. The more time you spend in your devotions, the, the more faithful you are in church, the more regular you are involved with your small group, the hungrier you get for those things. Recommit to strengthening your prayer life. Maybe you just need to refresh your devotional life. Do something different. Get you version and do it on your phone. Read through a book. Read through a topic. Do something different just to change it up a little bit. If you're feeling bored, I'm sorry. That doesn't mean it's not a good thing to do. Energize your prayer life. Refresh your routine. Find some new service opportunity. Send some notes of encouragement to someone. Serving the Lord is part of fanning the flame. Drop Perhaps some friendships that are holding you back. Maybe establish and strengthen some of the ones that will be helpful to you. Fan the flame. But he talks about the gift. Paul laid his hands on Timothy, apparently, at uh, that point in time when he brought him with him on the missionary journey, as we often do. We did with Elise last week. Now, we didn't offer to give some particular gift to her, except for the gift of our blessing and our commissioning from our church family. But he didn't tell them to find a new gift. You don't need something more than what God has made you to be. Oh, if only I could sing, then I could serve the Lord. If only I could preach or teach, oh, I wish I could be in this role or that role. And maybe God has fitted you to do a different role that you can serve him in. Whatever it is, that is what God intends for you to do. He doesn't need a new gift. Paul doesn't say, look for a gift that you can really get and really make a difference. He says, fan the gift that is already in you. God gifts us for ministry. We hone those gifts so we can be more effective in using them. Because God's calling is God's enabling. If he has asked you to do something, he will enable you to do it. So we have to discover what that is. So let me give you four things. This is not in your notes. Actually, I just was thinking this morning, if you're going to say something like that, you ought to give a couple of simple tips. So here's how you figure out what you're gifted to do. Number one, well, what do you want to do? If you come to We Are Coastal... Uh, you'll, you'll hear us talk about spiritual gifting and finding your place in ministry. And when I've heard Bethany Lay, who directs our engagement process across Coastal, she talks about that and she says, listen, if you ever see me in children's ministry on a Sunday, you need to know they have scraped the bottom of the barrel because I am not fitted for children's ministry. So sometimes you do what you need to do, but figure out what you want to do. God will incline your heart many times towards something. Secondly, talk to your spiritual leaders. Talk to your small group leader. Talk to 
uh, one of the, the deacons that you're acquainted with here, or one of our elders, or one of the pastors. Talk to a spiritual leader and say, I'm really, I'm trying to figure out what I can do to serve the Lord. Listen, I had someone come to me not too long ago who does landscaping for a living. And they said, would you be willing to let me do some of that here? He said, I don't mean to be paid. I just, you keep telling us, serve the Lord and do what you're good at. Um, for the record, I didn't say, no, I'd rather pay somebody. We take what God has enabled us to do, and we use it to serve the Lord. Pastor Sean talks, again, in We Are Coastal, about a fellow when, when Coastal was young, 20 years ago, we spent five years or six years or so in a, in a high school. So every weekend it was set up, tear down, set up, tear down. And that included the sign out front, which was pretty big. And uh, Pastor Sean tells the story of a fellow who came up to him because Pastor Sean, as pastors generally tend to be, was among the last people to leave. And invariably, somebody left the sign out front. And you couldn't leave it there because the city would have taken it and said, mm, nope, that's ours now. So you had to get it back off the property. So he would pack it up and take it. And he, he tells the story. He was driving a little Honda Accord at the time, and it didn't fit. He had to open the, the back and run it all the way through out the passenger window. And as he was doing that one day, a fellow came by and said, what are you doing? And Pastor Sean says, I'm, I'm just praising Jesus. <laughs> and the fellow said, you know what? I want to take this task. I want this sign to be my ministry. And so some months went by because, of course, Pastor Sean was like, you know, you just do that. That would be great. And Pastor Sean, like I do, often asks, so how did you get connected to Coastal? When he goes to a We Are Coastal class, and almost invariably somebody would say, well, I saw this big old sign out on Route 17. And so Pastor Sean said, I went to him one day and I said, you would be surprised at how many people are doing, are coming here because they first noticed the sign. And he said, you know what? I am really, really thankful to hear that because every Sunday when I put that sign up and when I take it back down, I pray that God will use that sign to get somebody's attention and bring them here. Which Pastor Sean always reminds us that is not even a little bit what I was doing with that sign. God will give you a ministry if you'll search for it. So what do you want to do? Talk to your spiritual leaders. Talk to those who are closest to you. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your kids. Talk to your siblings. Talk to the people you hang out with. Because they've heard you sing. So if you say, I think I need to be on that worship team, they will be honest enough to say, uh, no. You do not need to be on the worship team. But here's what I do see in you. And then lastly, try something. Don't wait for some magical thing, you know. I mean, I know there are planes that fly and write in the sky and things like that, but they're not going to tell you what to sign up for. Sign up and serve. If you have an inclination, offer. We virtually never turn down a volunteer. We need people in every area, and this is not a a thing on, oh, we got to serve, 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 get busy. I'm just saying it is part of fanning the flame of the gift that is in us. Sometimes we just need to serve. That's my responsibility. Lastly, I want to talk about provision. 
This is God's part. God's place in the process. God does not give us, verse 7 says, a spirit of fear. That is the word cowardice or timidity. Not fear as in you're going to get punished or persecuted, just fear as in, I'm not sure I I can do this. I heard a story one time that illustrates it to me pretty well. It was a a young couple that went out on a, a date, and this was the guy's first time dating this girl. He really thought she was pretty. He really liked her a lot, and he said, Dad, I'm not even sure what to do. Dad said, okay, here's what you do. You take her, you have a nice dinner, you, you know, go see a movie, whatever it is you're going to do. You take her home, you step up on the porch, and just before you you say goodnight, you just lean over, give her a little kiss on the forehead, and say, thanks, I had a really wonderful time. I hope we can do this again. I know, probably kissing on the first date. I mean, you know, you'd debate that yourself. But um, so he did. Got it all planned. They went to a nice movie, had a nice dinner together. And he said, okay, we got up to the door. He's all nervous. He's sweating. See, this is what happens to us guys, ladies. You may not know it, but we are terrified. And uh, so he says, man, I had such a nice time tonight. This was really, really fun. I enjoyed myself. I would really love it if we could do this again sometime. And he reached over and gave her a little kiss on the forehead. And she said, could you do that a little bit lower? He said, you know, I had a really nice time tonight, and I hope that we can do this again. He's terrified. He's timid. He doesn't know what to do. That doesn't come from God. What does God give us instead? He gives us power, love, and a sound mind. He gives us ability. He gives us strength. That's a character thing, not a personality thing. It is the the ability to stand up and be counted. That's the kind of strength that God gives. He gives us that. He gives us love, the kind of love that he exercises, the kind of love that does not care about what it gets in return. He gives us power. He gives us love. He gives us a a sound mind, self-control, it's translated as here. It's right thinking, good judgment. Here's what one author said. Power alone can be devastating and destructive. It needs the controls of love and common sense. Love can be sentimental without the other qualities. And a sound mind alone can be academic or speculative, but power, love, and a sound mind given to us by God himself is the antidote to the spirit of fear or timidity. That's what God has given to us. God has not given to us a spirit of brashness and harshness and unkindness. That's not power. Power, love, and a sound mind, clear thinking, good judgment, self-control. That's what God gives. That's his part in the process. So we have those around us who are building into our lives, like our our Paul. We have family who are investing in our lives and a church family who are investing in our lives. We have personal responsibility to fan the flame, and God gives us power, love, and self-control. 
And those things work together to make us effective in serving God. So let me give you a couple of thoughts. I know I'm running a couple minutes late here. Be thankful for the legacy of spiritual life that you have. I know sometimes it wasn't fun. I know sometimes you grew up in a generation where some of what was communicated as spiritual truth was really just the cultural truth from the church uh, culture that you were in. It's okay, right? Every, your parents are trying to honor God. Be thankful for the legacy of spiritual life you have. Secondly, can I remind you, for all of the talk about parents and grandparents and all of that, God does not have grandchildren. Just because your parents are saved doesn't mean you are. We don't inherit salvation. Or put in other terms, just because you're raised in church doesn't make you a Christian. Being raised in a garage doesn't make you an automobile. You have to make this personal. You have to come to Jesus by grace through faith for yourself. Your parents no matter how saved and how godly they may be, they don't make you saved. You have to come to Jesus on your own. You have to trust in Christ. Your faith isn't valid just because your parents was. So here's how that happens in the event that you're here and that hasn't happened for you because all of us faces that. I had to face it. My dad was a pastor. My mom was an administrator at a, or a, or a administrative assistant at a Christian school. I grew up in a godly home. My parents loved Jesus and served the Lord faithfully. But I had to come to faith in Christ. It didn't make me okay with God. It just put me in a more conducive spot for it to influence my life. But still, I had to make it my own. So what do we do? We all know this. If you're here regularly, you know this, right? We recognize that we're a sinner and we can't get to heaven on our own. So, so what do we do? Can, let's, can we do this together? We, we repent of our sin, right? We know we have not done right. Then we believe in the gospel. The gospel is Jesus came here and lived the perfect life. He's God in the flesh. He came and lived the perfect life we could never live. Then he died, was buried, actually came back to life again, right? That's the gospel. We repent of our sin. We believe in the gospel. We receive Christ. John, the first part of John says, to as many as received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. If that's never happened to you, you have to be one of God's children on your own. You have to come through Jesus to God. Thirdly, uh, your faith becomes real in the testing of it. It doesn't just, it's not just real because it's there. Your faith is real, but it's going to become more real to you as it is tested. Thirdly, be courageous. Step out and watch what God will do if you will offer yourself to him wholeheartedly. Fan the flame. Take on the challenge and the charge that Paul gives to Timothy. Fan the flame of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. And God wants to use you. He has given you an environment in your home, hopefully, in your church family, if you're here, in the mentors that are speaking into your life. 
He has given you everything you need. We'll say it in our, in our benediction here in just a minute, right? He's given us everything that we need so that we can do his will. So latch onto that. Take that into account. Do it. And let's create homes and a church family where children can thrive and grow to love Jesus. Amen? All right, listen, we're gonna, I'm going to pray. The team's going to come and, and uh, close us in a, a bit of a song, and then I'm going to come back and do our benediction, and uh, off we go. Honor your mom. Call her today if you're not nearby, and uh, thank her for her investment in your life, all right? Lord, I'm grateful today. I'm grateful for my mom, who is home in heaven with you this morning and uh, uh, has been for some years, but I'm grateful for the legacy that she left in my life and my parents And uh, Lord, I pray for, uh, again, for the moms who are here. Some of them are discouraged. Some of them are struggling under the weight of responsibility that it is to be a mom. And uh, I pray that you would lift them up and encourage them today with the the wonderful opportunity that is theirs. And uh, Lord, for all of us, though, we want to be people who are on fire, who are walking with you, who are passionate about the things of God. Help us to take advantage of the opportunities you've given us and the relationships in our life so that we can do that to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.